Welcome to the Maris Review. I'm Maris Kreisman, and what a thrill it is to be joined today by Megan Abbott, who is the award-winning author of 10 novels, including Give Me Your Hand, You Will Know Me, The Fever, Dare Me, and The End of Everything. She's the co-creator and executive producer of USA's adaptation of Dare Me, and was a staff writer on HBO's David Simon show, The Deuce. Her latest novel is called The Turnout. Megan, it's such a pleasure to have you here. Yes, likewise. I only wish it were in person. Me too. Uh, yes, and with a drink in our hands. <laughs> no, <it's not. laughs> so Megan, it's so funny because I, I, I think this episode will air um, a few weeks from now, but when I was watching the discourse around Simone Biles, I could not stop thinking about you <laughs> and how you have really cornered the market in paying attention to female athletes and well, now dancers um, and, and thinking about both the physical and mental tolls that such dedication to a sport or a passion for ballet um, takes, on your, takes on one's body and mind. Yes, it's so wild. I, I could think of little else this week other than the Simone Biles and everything. And just, I had been working on this piece about this term I hadn't heard of before um, called um, effortless perfectionism, which is amazing uh, that I hadn't heard of it. And there, you know, sort of an obvious thing, but it was the study they did, um, a, a college study um, um, of students and incoming freshmen and particularly female students that they felt that they had to get get everything right do everything well look a certain way um, you know sort of make everyone feel great in every situation uh, accommodate everybody excel and sh appear to show no effort at having done so and it just that's what I thought of so much this week and uh, and that I think about all the time because you know these are I've written about sports and dance which are um, you know ones where how you know gymnastics these are how you look how, how you present um, how you perform is central to it um, so it just spoke so deeply to that um, and to why these these sports feel so connected to femininity to me yeah and I'm so excited that you, it, it only seemed natural for your oeuvre to get into the world of ballet. <laughs> yes, it's, uh, I mean, it, it's really, it's something I talk with my shrink about constantly, why I keep writing about things that I can't and remotely do and never could. I guess that's why I do, but I was never an athlete. I was really poor dancer. Um, I've never had control over my body in any <laughs> capacity. Um, so I do think that that's part of it. But I actually I think there's other things too. I think that there's um there's sort of so much superstition in sports and dance and there is in writing too and, and so much discipline. I mean this is just me wanting to be an athlete, but but there there are crossovers and I think that just the thing you're talking about, that mental game it can play on you feels really connected to anybody creating something. Um, because these there is such an art to these sports that I've that I've worked with too. So yeah, it feels it feels like that's a better reason than just I was bad at sports in <laughs> <school>. <laughs> but also I, I love that in the turnout 
it's very explicitly about pain, about pain as one's friend, pain as one's identity, pain as proof that you're doing well. And, and, and that of course runs through your work as well, but never quite so uh, explicitly. Tell me about that. Yeah, that, that sort of snuck in on me. I mean, that, what you know, you never intend all this stuff and then your, yourself comes out no matter what, what you start <laughs> writing. But it, it has been one of my fascinations. And I think low-key, it's a lot of our fascinations with ballet is the cost on the body, the wear and tear, the, the feet, the ballet dancer's feet, which every, I mean, you, let me tell you, you just have to look on YouTube to see oh, wow. how people are. Um, and, um, um, and these sort of rituals of care around it. And I guess that too, um, you know, I grew up loving old movies in Hollywood and I was always fascinated by the toil that actresses would go through to master eternal youth and beauty. And so I guess all of this stuff feels so, so connected that, that you have to enjoy some of the pain um, even even if you don't want to because it it shows it's somehow it shows that um that this is your choice um that um and even if it doesn't feel like you have a choice maybe it's a way of taking agency over it right. i'm doing this i am doing this um to myself yes yes <laughs> exactly and, and yeah it it's it's interesting to me that when you describe um the ballerinas, ballet dancers, um, disordered eating makes an appearance, but it's just, it's a small part of it. The, the control over the body goes beyond. Yes, I really consciously avoided that. I, you know, I, that's such a cliche, it's a cliche yeah. of ballet stories and it's one of the ballet dancers always, um, I mean, all cliches are cliches for a reason. It's anything where you have to be that, um, light and your training is that rigorous sure. and all that but I didn't want to lean on that um, and it felt sort of easy um, and it seemed like the rest of it was so much more interesting because mm -hmm. um, it it is so connected with the art of it I saw you know I saw the wonderful Wendy Whalen documentary it was a sort of like great New York like sort of a legend legendary New York City ballet dancer and she was sort of forced into retirement that at that moment because of her age and um and she was she undergoes all these surgeries in the documentary mm. and it was so moving how she could make her body do these things and she would she would take on whatever it took and you know she says in it it's very dramatic but you can feel that she means it if I can't dance again I don't want to live she, she says it and it um I think it does become an existential issue at a certain point um and you know the um the body's always going to tell um as we know um I think that's sort of part of the you know sort of darker more complicated art of it is is what you have to go through but though now I think you know we've certainly seen in gymnastics and and in dance recently maybe we don't have to do this to ourselves right. there's been some pushback there's been a long pushback against body type demands and but now I think we're starting to see and certainly we'll see how 
what's happened this week with Simone Biles plays out, but that um, mentally too, that that because that's the really hidden toll. Um, is yeah, the toll this all takes. And it, it's it's so helpful to um, to remember that when you're watching these beautiful things, there is so much implicit danger and and violence in what we're seeing. Yes, I mean, it defying the laws of physics is just sort of um, when you see what I mean, this I remember first researching this when I wrote Dare Me because of those stunts that um, that cheerleaders do. And um, it was so um, when we were shooting the, sh the show, the adaptation, seeing <laughs> seeing this happen right in front of my eyes and, you know, having all these stunt coordinators and being very careful and having harnesses and things like it was still so terrifying to watch sure. uh, and and uh, sort of chilling and it's a sort of weird experience of feeling responsible for somehow for, <laughs> for making this happen but when you see it um, you so we have a, such a distance from it we're seeing it on screens and it can feel um, very it can start to feel very natural we can be critical of it but when you when you really see it in person you do see how this is not what the body's supposed to do and the fact that you can do this is staggering and gorgeous and, and terrifying all at once. You get at the implicit violence in this in so many wonderful ways, but the, the one of my favorite metaphors, of course, is that um, toshus must be destroyed before they can be used. Yes, this is. I was really into this. I mean, I had to. I mean, I cut pages out of the book of it because I had written so much about it. But that was the other thing. I I'd always been interested in um, what dancers do to their shoes to get them performance ready, and so watching all these YouTube videos where dancers will show their different rituals, you know, whether it's with a hammer and a lighter and glue and all these things to sort of break down the shoe and make it sort of essentially become a second skin to them. Um, and they all have, they're all very wedded to their approach and feel that all these other approaches are, um, are wrong. And I, and I love their passion. And then you see all these videos of these, the few, um, craft makers that make the shoes there's you know three or four that are predominant and they're these wonderful they create these works of art and then immediately the minute they are open they are destroyed and then after one performance uh or maybe two they're thrown away <laughs> so i mean all i mean it's you, you can't you know as a writer you, you gotta use all that <laughs> oh absolutely and and so i i i really enjoyed that the uh, main character in the turnout, Dara, has a bit of your aesthetic in that I, I love her description. She's thinking about femme fatales and noir. And I was thinking, you know, Dara is not on Twitter, but she would be posting glam shots of old starlets like you do. <laughs> Yes, she has a very, 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 you know, she has had a very glamorous mother and so she has a very firm aesthetic in her head of how, how things should look and, and it carries over into all areas of her life, which is when you're surrounded by mirrors all day. I mean, I, oh, yeah. I have heard dancers talk about that where it's like they can see the mirror even when there is no mirror because they're so used to observing themselves from the outside and the, the effect of that 
that I think has to has to sort of for many dancers ripple over into every area and for Dara who's raised a dancer by dancers in a, in a house completely consumed with dance I, I don't know how you would ever take take that lens out yeah and and the book is filled with such contradictions about the both private and communal uh, aspects of ballet that you're all supposed to look a certain way and blend in with a group until, um, you know, the turnout refers to opening your body up in a way that allows the audience to come in more fully. Yes, yes. I mean, that it's so funny, you know, it would seems like obvious that that would be the title now, but we didn't come to that title till like so late and it had a different title. And it, you know, I did not intend that to become this sort of central metaphor, if you will, (laughs) not an intended metaphor, but it became one. Yeah, uh, you know, it's so like you, you know, opening yourself up. And this is the thing that that Dara and her sisters, it's her sister and her and her husband, they've sort of lived this very cloistered life in ballet, like anyone sort of, you know, devoted to an art or a sport does, and um, and that's an opening out in performance. But so much of the rest of their life has uh, has to be, or they feel has to be, very insular and very um, in this small sort of hot house of, in that case, the school of dance. Um, you know, in in my gymnastic books, the team, and it's mm-hmm. it's a place of both a. Um, um, all working together and and then and then not right because somebody's got to be the, the top um so yep. i guess those are things that emerge in a lot of my books it's a, it's a ongoing fascination and it's it's so interesting to me too that this time um the the young woman who gets the top of the pyramid let's say um in the nutcracker who gets to play clara for for much of the book, we see her being bullied. I, I feel like there are, are, are two ways it can go, right? Either that everybody wants to be you or everyone wants to hurt you and be you. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, I think it's all, it all gets twisted up. And I, I mean, honestly, I could have written a whole other book just about those girls, but I- Oh yeah, they were. But, you know. I'm just so fascinated by it and the stories that I'd read, you know, everything in there is somebody told me, but about the, mm. the competitiveness about, because I mean, any of us who have seen, if we've only seen one ballet, it's the Nutcracker. Absolutely. And a lot of, right. I mean, and a lot of us have maybe been in the, the chorus of one version or another or knew someone that did. And it's always about the lead. It's always about Clara who, who really for the second of the play doesn't even get to do anything, but right. It's just sort of a, a little bit of a puzzle there, but um, but I really wanted to um, um, sort of sort of get get underneath that, and you know, girls at that age. Not everyone's experience is my experience, but I always think of Margaret <laughs> Atwood, Cat's Eye, which oh yeah most terrifying books about being 11 12 you know like that to me that's the meanest age of girls and um or it was at least and mm-hmm. uh, um there's no way that that's not going to come out in this kind of environment and when you have a concrete thing I mean the thing I want to do differently with it is that Dara just lets it unfold um 
um, because she knows this is part of the ritual. Right. Uh, and, and that all became really interesting to me um, and made me look more at the, I looked at the original E.T.A. Hoffman Nutcracker, which is a really dark and strange story, but it's obviously about female coming of age as the ballet ends up being, but in much more sterilized form. But it's really, you know, she's got this spooky godfather with an eye patch who gives her this little boy, this doll that's a little boy that she sleeps with. <laughs> the whole thing is, um, and then she has this elaborate fantasy of, of a prince and, uh, and uh, you know, this sort of decadent world that she enters full of, full of delicious treats. Um, so <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's all, um, so I wanted, yeah, all this to be about these kind of rites of passage, these these um, um, that you have to kind of have to go through them because to me, for Daro so understands pain, it would part of it would be that you have to you have to deal with this too, and she she pretty much lets it um, go um, without interfering. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a feeling like it was almost like Bailey's basic training, and that like <laughs> he has to be dehumanized a little bit in order to. Uh... Yes, and, and essentially show you're strong enough to to really be Clara, um, mm -hmm. Clara is not particularly strong, but to sort of, you can hold, you need to be able to hold your own, um, which feels very um, girl, girl world to me. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And, and, and yes, the Nutcracker is such a perfect text for, for, you know, close examination in a book about young girls. Yes, and you know, like every fairy tale, um, mm -hmm. it's so dark, the, the original, like all of those, and sort of haunted and spooky and Freudian, and uh, um, and I kind of love it. It's become this family <laughs> um, uh, ritual and this sort of holiday extravaganza. I mean, I always go to the New York City Ballet one, and it wasn't until I started writing this book that it started to look really differently to me yeah enormous ballot christmas tree that rises from the middle of the stage <laughs> oh gosh i'm gonna have to go back and and but i do i do you know um a character says that it's a metaphor for first sexual experience and i was like oh my god nana used to take me to that <laughs> yes yes i mean you know it's sort of when you look at any of those fairy tales but i mean especially yes. jay hoffman did have a um you know he did have sort of owned that field for a while he's uh um sandman and all that that's dark stuff but uh but it is like it's sort of like you do wonder if on some lower level that that we do understand it we just choose not to look too closely at it because mm -hmm. most children's as we all know, which most children's books that endure are pretty dark and yeah. and, and uh, really get get into it, um, and that we just kind of again sort of let that unfold. You have to sort of let that unfold. You have to to let um, let the kids figure it out. Right, and and which is and why I'm not a parent, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah, in, in Dara and Marie's life, there is so much shame around sex and the idea of sex and the I would go so far as to say that Dara um enjoys slut shaming her sister Marie yeah yeah that that was um I mean that was sort of inspired by a lot of stuff I'd seen online um particularly 
surrounding that Dirty John podcast Mm -hmm. and TV show. I just was seeing a lot of women. That's a show about a con artist who's like a murderous con artist in that case who is involved with all these different women and marrying them and then bilking them and 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 worse and and all these comments were like blaming the women for falling for it and you know I was so I mean it's always like the people who comment are the people that that have these feelings but I was it seems such a a need to sort of um push something away I mean I just always take a Freudian view of that if you're that if you if you're going to do that then there's something going on with you and so I wanted Dara to sort of I wanted to go into that with her and um and have her be extremely judgmental of her sister's you know sexual romantic choices and in a way that sort of like always with sisters makes Marie dig dig in dig her heels in deeper um as as one does (laughs) yeah um and, and there's a narrative that Dara promotes in her own head and it was, it's it's hard to tell how much of that is is real um that marie has no impulse control and that like she shouldn't be driving because dara infantilizes her so much and um she wears red lipstick that looks like a big gash and we all know what else looks like a big gash yeah it was um it seems so you know how you know all we know all know that every family has these sort of you're stuck in these roles that you're cast in at an mm-hmm. early age there's no escaping them and and with Dara and Marie because they're they're orphans essentially and have sort of raised each other I think they get even more concretized there's no so you 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 can't possibly know what it's they can't possibly know how if this is reality at all because right it's so deep the family mythos is that 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 Dara is disciplined and order and control mm-hmm. Marie is the wild child the problem child who must be uh contained so um I sort of wanted to sort of keep Push, pushing that and pushing that because in, in some ways it's the it's the imprisoning mythology of the family yeah and and then w- when I think about the character of Derek the contractor who comes in um to the ballet studio and um shakes things up yeah. <laughs> um it, it makes a lot of sense that you were thinking about Dirty John but I was going to ask you why Derek in particular feels so threatening to, to Dara. Yeah, I mean, he's so the opposite, right? He's all it and excess. I mean, I had, so I, I guess I had to control it because, you know, you always like to write your antagonists more than anyone else. He was sure. so fun to write and he's such a mess and um, and he just thinks he can take whatever he wants and he's just um, all libido and, um, and so it was like that's sort of a nightmare to her and then to sort of create this scenario where he's, you know, everyone feels very vulnerable when they have someone working in their home and they don't really understand how any of this stuff works and you know contractors do so you have to put this faith in them that they know what they're doing and um that they're not going to bilk you and that they're all these sort of it's such an act of faith but you know for for dara who's sort of basically these has grown up in these twin castles of the studio and the house to have one of those spaces invaded by um this force um and then invading you know other other things other in their things life too. yeah, yeah it, it really 
it becomes a bit like a horror story when you think about the the work of a contractor and what can go wrong. Yes, I mean, I really, you know, it's so funny because I thought, well, I'm never going to be able to hire a contractor. <laughs> but, but I mean, most people I know have wonderful, it's sort of like a mechanic or a plumber or a gynecologist for that matter. Like when someone found someone, when you find someone good, um, you feel so relieved because you can, it feels so, you feel very vulnerable, I think, um, because it is so intimate a space. And so I think um, um, you really laying yourself out there. Um, and, um, and I think that that, that just plays a part, you know, for Dara, it's just, um, it's, uh, it would be impossible under the best of circumstances, but with this guy, it's especially <laughs> so. <laughs> And then, of course, in in contrast to Charlie, Dara's husband, um, who a former ballet dancer, he, he's like, I, I assume he's like a physical opposite. Um, tell me about, Charlie has something called a hangman's fracture, which I had never heard of before, and it sounds horrifying. Yes, I was looking into a lot of what a sort of those sort of stress injuries, those, you know, there's ballet dancers like athletes have a lot of those that it's not one incident, but it's this sort of series of them. And they can't even really tell where it comes from, but they can be really debilitating. And in these cases, when it's sort of spinal, it can just radiate out and keep creating other problems. And so, um, you know, think for a lot of these, this is something I thought about a lot and you will know me with gymnastics because you, you're, you're doing things to your body at a young young age that affect it forever because you're still developing and mm -hmm. and you hangman's fracture anybody can get that you can get that in a car right. accident I mean, it's, it sounds it sounds really scary because it is but but um you know you can't you can't help a car accident and and of course charlie can't help this but it's one of the it is basically what is he going to do now uh he can't even really teach because his injuries are so um I mean, he possibly could. I don't know if Dara would let him. But, <laughs> but uh, um, I wanted to sort of look at what that looks like and his sort of feeling of impotence and inutility. And then, you know, there's just so much stuff going on around him um, yeah. and his sort of what that must feel like. Um, it was also influenced by that Wendy Whalen documentary because she was so afraid of of being, they, they show some dancers in there that are in wheelchairs. And, you know, obviously this is the very dark far end of ballet and really for people performing at a very frequent level but it's it's always a risk of course sure yeah and it's just such a physical manifestation of of one's uh commitment to yeah. to the to the cause yeah, yeah sacrificing I, one's body for it really is and it's um you know it's it's it the it's so beautiful when you watch you know these dancers like this especially ones how I always pictured Charlie I had a few you know there were a few photos I was looking at where like their body is like a statue it's so exquisite in form and um, even in distress and even in injury that you can't believe there's just something so haunting about it and to have that be your body where it still looks so beautiful you still know how to do all these things but you, you can't do any of mm. it um, it felt so 
so tragic to me. So uh, I wanted to get in, get inside that. And then you yeah. have sort of Derek, who's sort of excess, and he's sort of, you know, uh, um, has a belly, and he's sort of, uh, you know, he's sort of happy. I mean, I had this long scene where he's eating this platter of sushi, because I wanted to show, like, how enraging that must be if you're restricting yourself so much <laughs> and see this guy come in. And, um, but but I, I didn't want to get into, into farce. So, but, like, uh, <laughs> um, um, how you know how much forever your feelings about body and um what you do to it will never leave you even if you can't dance anymore related to that and i i wanted to ask you about this before before i ask you for book recommendations uh, the fact that everyone smokes in this book really shook me yeah, it feel like it felt like sort of a, like a dirty thing to do, but it, I mean it is true that a lot of dancers smoke, which seems, um, I'm sure it's much less true than it was, but mm -hmm. it is this weird feature because you would think because of the the lung capacity that it it wouldn't happen, but it was also as a lover of film noir to have yeah. a license to have characters smoking is is a gift. <laughs> I mean it was. Uh, I thought of this too when I was doing therapy because the coach character smokes on that. It's like the one thing you can't, re you're not supposed to do anymore. Right. Character smoke, but but we were able to get away with it because she's a bad character. But but it's also like there's nothing actors like more than being able to smoke in a scene because that's it. Smoking is terrible. Don't do it. I never have, but it looks cool. <laughs> I mean, that's cool. the problem. That's the problem. Um, like so many things in life, um, it looks so cool so um and you know dar and marie are like sort of furtive especially dar is sort of furtive about the smoking but it felt always when you're writing a crime novel two people are under pressure so even people who wouldn't normally smoke i mean i would be smoking if i were going through <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> absolutely megan this was a pleasure uh the turnout is so wonderful um would you like to recommend some books to us I would. I've I've been like my most people I think reading like crazy the past year and a half. Mm -hmm. That's been like the one pleasure um, because I just had more 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 at home time. Um, and I mean, one thing that I've loved that people might not know of unless they're deep crime aficionados. I've been returning to the novels of Chester Himes, so who was really like one of the great noir writers of the 50s and 60s. He also wrote his memoirs, which is about being a black man in Los Angeles post-World War II, and they're beautiful. Um, um, but he has a series, this mystery crime series. It's the um, Coffin Ed and Grave Digger Jones series. It's these two police detectives in Harlem, and it felt last year with everything gone because they were wildly subversive at the time. They were really published in France and secondarily in America and they get darker and stranger and more broke as they go. They're already really over the top in this sort of delicious way. And as they get into the early seventies, they get very um, fascinatingly nihilistic and they're, they're also really funny. And so I, I reread all those. They're very short and uh, Cotton Comes to Harlem is probably the most famous one because it was a movie too, but they're, they're great. Um, um, I highly recommend that. And now I'm reading one of the best biographies I've ever read, 
um, to recommend, which is John Lair's Tennessee Williams biography, mm. which I, I know every I'm like late to the party on that one, but um, I've just been so moved by it. Um, I was revisiting some Tennessee Williams when I was writing this book because it felt like that kind of oh, drama. Sure. Right? There's a little bit of overlap. And so, and now I'm reading this and um, I was so moved by his commitment to his, I had such early success and it was so hard to top that, but he just kept writing and kept trying to innovate and kept trying to mine his demons and his struggles was so beautiful. And, um, and it's John Lair is a wonderful writer. I probably have people have read his, his writing in the New Yorker. Mm-hmm. And he wrote also a great memoir. Uh, well, it's really autobiography, like sort of via his father. His father was Bert Lair, who's the Cowardly Lion in yes. Wizard of Oz. Yeah, and that it's a great book. So that that sort of people might know that one, um, but this one is uh, not to be beat. If you're even vaguely interested in Tennessee Williams or or the the playwright's life, I, I or a Southern Gothic Gothics or or you know being queer at a really hard time in America. Um, it's just it's just wonderful and just like candy. Megan, thank you so much. This was excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Maris Review. And check the show notes for the books we discussed on here today. And please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.